I'm Jeff Cook. And I'm TJ Wilson. And this is Around the Circle. I'm walking slowly. I'm taking my time. All I could talk in is starting to rhyme. I'm letting go lonely, letting go of strife. I just can't get enough of this beautiful life. The Enneagram. It's a map of the human personality. It's a tool for navigating relationships. It creates language for what motivates us and helps us look at the way we look at everything else. And most importantly, the Enneagram is a mirror because sometimes you need help seeing yourself. My name is Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado, and with me is TJ Wilson, businessman, lover of theology, and Enneagram ninja. Hello. My man. Hey. Talking villains. We are talking villains. We are moving on to the twos today. Yep. Looking at all the different types of villains out there that we love. Right. Since twos represent love, embody love sure. on the Enneagram, yeah. we should probably talk about some lovable villains. Okay, cool. These are villains, you know, you know they're villains. I know they're villains. But darn it, you just want to maybe pinch their cheek and... <laughs> they're just still they're just still so lovable. The sure. fine folks at Cinefix, who I'm stealing this list from, they yeah. do a top ten video on on the YouTube of the top ten types of villains, and they listed uh, Bodhi from Point Break, okay, Loki from uh, the MCU, sure, and one Hannibal Lecter as <laughs> lovable, <laughs> as lovable. Huh. That was not the first thing that came to my mind either. Maybe it's the case. Okay, it's the villain. That you're actually cheering for. Oh, you sure. want you want them to win in the end. You want them to get away. Sure. Yeah. You're glad Hannibal Lecter got out. Yeah. Okay. There are a lot of good villains in that vein. That like you're sort of cheering for the villain to win a little bit. Yes. What what villains are you cheering for? Are you? Uh, <laughs> you won't know this reference at all, but uh, Buffy the TV show is yeah probably my favorite TV show. Mm-hmm. And there's a character in it that is a villain for almost the entirety of the show. Uh-huh. Um, he shows up in season two, and he's a villain almost throughout. And his name's Spike. Uh, yeah, and he's just he's a spectacular. Like he was supposed to be a like disposable. Like we get he's part of the show within season two, and then they were intending to have him go away, and they just like they love this character so much that. He just keeps coming back, and he's excellent. He's a great villain. Yes. Yeah. I loved watching. This may be more of a redeemable. Some some villains out there are the ones that have the, they find Jesus and turn. Right. But uh, Which kind of happens to Spike, but it's later. So Is that how that? Yeah. I really got into Jamie Lannister in the, uh, in the fine Game of Thrones series. Sure. His character by midway through. It's just... Just wonderful. Sure. Um, but today we are talking about twos and their villainous selves. Uh, we took another list from the fine folks at Inia App. Uh, they they did a villain post on Twitter, which I just loved, and 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 this has been sitting in the back of our heads for over a year. And it's naming each of the types and how villainy comes out. And and they said twos are the overlord for your own good. Mm. And I like that image. Yeah. 
Um, and so uh, TJ and I have got together and we listed a handful of villains that we think, um, just on the, you know, if we were just making a guess, eh, this one's probably a two. And we listed uh, one Vito Corleone from The Godfather. Perfect. Uh, we did a deep dive into Palpatine when we did the Star Wars. Right. Got some Lotso hugging from uh, Toy Story 3. Excellent. Excellent film. I've only seen that movie once. Sure. Because it's I've... too heartbreaking to watch. It is. <laughs> yeah, it's too hard <laughs> it's... to watch. Yeah. I need to go back and and, and revisit it. Mm-hmm. I think I've watched the incinerator scene on YouTube a handful of times. Sure. Yeah. But uh, but it, it is it is a tough movie. It is. Yeah. Um, I'm adding one, who a guy I thought was a three, but but then as I was doing my stay, I was like, wait a second, and this would be Commodus from Gladiator. Okay. Who I, I'm I'm really excited to show you some of these quotes. Okay. Because. His tuneness comes out in wonderful ways. There, sure. at least, are worth talking about. Sure. And of course, there are many, many an evil mom out there who gets her tuneness on. Yeah. And sure. is going to be an overlord for your own good. Yep. Uh, before we get, before we reveal the character, we're really going to do the deep dive into. Um, any <laughs> any thoughts on the villainous too? Well, um, as, as we've been talking a lot about uh, villains and what villainy looks like, it, this is the move from uh, the move into security in a really unhealthy way. So villainous twos would be someone who is very secure and starts to bring up the really bad parts of four. Yes. So when twos move into their secure place, they, they adopt some of the behavior, some of the patterns of the four type and in really unhealthy spaces twos going to four are going to become uh they're going to become a lot more individualistic they're going to uh move into thinking they are really special they're going to uh they're going to often pick up some of that like push pull nature of of fours where they're pushing people away in order to get attention um, so just like think of a lot of the unhealthy behaviors at four and start from two, move to that, and you get the villainous two. Yes. Something that we discovered with Annie Wilkes for me was security comes not only when you have gotten what you want, when kind of your, your basic desire is fulfilled, but when you have power in a situation, mm-hmm. it's not just that I have my want, but in this situation, I'm in control. Yeah. And that opens you up to the high side, low side of your security number. Right. And that seemed to be the case with Annie Wilkes. And it was over and again the case with the, the character we're going to look at today where the hero is on the ropes. They're pinned down and the villain has all the power. Yeah, and now you get to see their heart, and what comes out is the low side of their security number. For twos, then, what it becomes a lot more self-focused. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. here's my feelings in a outspoken way. Yeah, um, I'm the one that matters. 
yeah. most. Yeah. When when twos go to four in a really healthy way, they they don't necessarily need other people's attention as much. They they are able to focus on themselves and help take care of themselves. When they go there in an unhealthy way, it is the the bad part of that. It's 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 very much a self focus. Yeah. One of the things, and we'll talk about this, is the virtue for fours is equanimity. Mm-hmm. Our character, when they go to the low side of four, actually are, is going to elevate equality in a very strange way where yeah. it's very destructive. I'm going to eliminate some people in order to establish equality across the board. Right. Um, I don't know if that's that would be true of all twos, but that is the case with our character. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you want to, you want to, you want to do who is our favorite, uh, two villain, uh, our favorite, the one we got to focus on is the character syndrome, AKA buddy from the wonderful Pixar movie, the Incredibles arguably at the time was a top five superhero film. Sure. Before all the other, before the dark Knight, before all the MCU, this was in the running. Okay, here's here's what? the thing. Here's the thing about The Incredibles. I know that you love this movie. We've talked about yeah. this for years. Uh-huh. But you got to know, I have a hard time loving this movie because I worked in retail when it came out. <laughs> well, well, do, well, do tell. So, Did you get tortured by this so movie? I was in sales in the <laughs> electronics department. Yeah, you were. While this movie came to DVD and was being shown over and over again for weeks. Look at how great our flat screens are. Yeah. Sound yeah. effects are at their their top their top notch with plasma this movie. TVs were like <laughs> the thing at this time and this was an excellent movie to showcase how cool plasma TVs were. The ways that both children and corporations torture you are very similar. Um, play this song over and over and over and over again. Yep. Watch this movie over and over yep. and over again. Yep. It's just, uh, you know, it's uh, kids, corporations, and Al-Qaeda. They all use the same terrible <laughs> methods of getting into your, your skull. Actually, I don't know if Al-Qaeda tortures people. Yeah. Um, but kids <laughs> but kids and corporations <laughs> do. Um. So for those of you who don't know The Incredibles, The Incredibles is the story of a family of superheroes who have to go into hiding because there is a systematic desire for what they call supers to stop saving the world. It's basically Batman versus Superman, the cartoon. (laughs) (laughs) There's like, we just don't want your help anymore. Is it the case that there's that... uh, logic that once superheroes go away all the supervillains go away is the world doing okay when the supers are gone yeah that's definitely one of the one of the things about this the the plot holes if you will yeah <laughs> that like if if all the superheroes are gone what about all the people that they were fighting where did they right. go they right. they didn't they didn't decide oh no it's illegal for me to be out there now i'm not going to go do crime anymore <laughs> True. Bon Voyage never got caught. He's, right. He's, he's still out there. Extraordinary music in this movie by the great Michael Giacchino. Um, it's got that 1960s view of the future, mm. like Jetsons kind of feel to it. This is what the future is probably like. Right. In the 60s. Yeah. 
um, this is going to be another one of those movies where we are elevating the fantastic Samuel L. Jackson at points. Right. Where is my super suit? He's in so many of the movies we talk about. It's just because he's in so many movies. That's what it is. Yeah. It's, that man just works yep. his ass off. He does. <laughs> That's what it is. The two best lines. No capes and where's my super suit? Good. The uh, villain, however, is the Buddy Pine, who is AKA Syndrome, played by Jason Lee, who you will know as Earl from My Name is Earl. So I just got done rewatching My Name is Earl. Oh, yeah? And like, he, I, Jason Lee does not get enough credit for the work that he does. He's a great actor. The, the character of My Name is Earl, I forget that that is Jason Lee. Yeah. Because it, it, he so embodies someone totally different from who I always see when I see Jason Lee. Yeah. Yeah. Almost famous. Yeah. Does all those Kevin Smith films. Yeah. He play, He actually does both the voice of Adult Syndrome and uh, Young Buddy. Perfect. Got some skills. He's good. Uh, actually, fun fact. He was not the original voice cast. The original was one Joaquin Phoenix. Hmm. That would have been a very different villain. It it would have. (laughs) Fair enough. All right, well, we need to introduce this character the way the movie introduces the character, which is right up front. So there is a clean, excellent conveying of this character's heart at the outset where Mr. Incredible, who is a superhero, you see him saving a cat from a tree and at the same time um, catching the bad guys. The day is saved. He gets into his car. There's a kid sitting in the passenger seat named Buddy who says, Cool, ready for takeoff. What the? Who are you supposed to be? Well, I'm Incrediboy. What? No. You're that kid from the fan club. Bro, bro, Brody. Bud. Buddy. Buddy. My name is Incrediboy. Look, I've been nice. I've stood for photos, signed every scrap of paper you pushed at me, but this No, no, is... no, you don't have to worry about training me. I know all your moves, your crime-fighting style, favorite catchphrases, everything. I am your number one fan. Unfortunately, TJ, this is the second week in a row where the villain is the number one fan. Oh, hey, look at that. I didn't even think about that. Mr. Incredible ejects Buddy from his car and drives away and goes off to fight crime. (laughs) Buddy, a child, is launched from the car and lands on his head. Yep. (laughs) And still says, hey, wait a second. Mr. Incredible finds a thief on a roof. He saves a, you know, a jumper. And then he discovers a bank robber. There's an explosion. The bad guy comes out. Mr. Incredible says, bomb voyage. By the way, it was supposed to be bomb perignon. But the but, but, but the they folks, wouldn't side on on it. <laughs> the folks who do sh- sell champagne wouldn't give them the rights. Either one would be a great. Either one's a good joke. Um, that works. Monsieur Incroyable and Incrediboy. Here's Buddy inserting himself. And just like he showed up in the bank. How did he get there? <laughs> I love the lighting here. He's like bat backlit he's yeah. he's got the cape his his hands are on his side he's got this heroic posture and it's like clearly this is an 11 year old <laughs> right <laughs> who's yeah. a little out of shape and yet wants to be included hey, hey aren't you curious about how i get around so fast see i have these rocket boots go They're home buddy what now the villain he says something like you're a little oaf can we talk 
It says you always, okay, so getting to the four, notice this. You always, always say be true to yourself, but you never say which part of yourself to be true to. Well, I finally figured out who I am. I am your ward. Incredible boy. He's, tra he's trying to get to his secure side here. Right. He's gonna, gonna actually do some introspection. I actually wanted your thoughts on that before ending this quote. Isn't that what's taking place there? It's someone who wouldn't normally um, turn their eyes inward, or at least twos have trouble turning their eyes inward. Like one of the features of twos is that is that they aren't in touch with themselves, and and one of the moves toward health and and one of the things they get at four insecurity is is that introspection and that that ability to pay more attention to their own desires and wants because they, they spend so much of their time focusing on outward, focusing on what other people want. And, and here he is Mr. Incredible's biggest fan who has gotten in touch with who he's supposed to be quote unquote. And who he's supposed to be is Mr. Incredible's number two. Yeah. So he's he, like at, at 11 years old, he's already showcasing a tremendous amount of unhealth. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. This, this looks like it might be healthy, but it's actually not. Right. It's I've, I've, I understand who I am. I'm supposed to push into my addiction. Right. I'm supposed to be your shadow. Yeah. Mr. Credi Incredible names it. And now you have officially carried it too far, buddy. Oh! This is because I don't have powers, isn't it? Well, not every superhero has powers, you know. You can be super without them. I invented these. I can fly. Can you fly? Fly home, buddy. I work alone. Oui, et ta tenue est complètement ridicule. And the Bon Voyage says, and your outfit is totally ridiculous. <laughs> You just give me one chance. So I'll show you. I'll go get the police. So there we are. And then and then the, the, the scene plays out. He has a cape on. Bomb Voyage throws a, a bomb. The, the bomb attaches to the capes because you know the principal rule in Incredibles is... No capes! This sets up all of the bad things that are going <laughs> to occur for the rest of the movie. Comes from the cape being able to catch the bomb. Right. Right there up front. Yep. Somebody pointed that out just in the last five minutes to me. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Good yeah. good call. Um, thoughts on this character? Well, like, like we see him as a little boy here, but but we're setting up, like, how he he becomes who he grows up to be. And and there's, there's so much about him showcasing that he just wants to be helpful. And, and like, we, we describe twos as the helper, and, and Buddy actually says several times, I just want to help. And he, he has wrapped his whole identity up in being, uh, being helpful to the supers. And, and, and so being Mr. Incredible's sidekick is actually about him being part of something by being helpful to Mr. Incredible. And like this, this is the unhealthy stereotypical expression of what type twos are. Yeah. There ends up being some of the villain that's going to come out in this character is going to come out because of the places that twos are going to struggle. There's going to be a feeling of being victimized mm -hmm. and, and perhaps even abused and perhaps rightly so. Right. Um, there is uh, there's clearly a you're not wanted here right. message being conveyed by somebody he really respects. Yeah. We will see later on that he holds on to resentment and rage at that 
that separation from a person that spo- that should have cared for him because he was doing all the work for them to 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 be helpful. Right. What else do do people need? Right. Um, well, and and he also showcases a good representation of of thinking repression, I think. Yeah. And also helps draw attention to the fact that thinking repression does not mean dumb. So like here is this little boy who has not thought through what he's actually doing. So like yeah. he invented these all of these things to help him be helpful to Mr. Incredible, but a yep. Mr. Incredible doesn't want him. So he's forcing his helpfulness onto Mr. Incredible. B he doesn't know how to fight crime. Like he studied all of Mr. <laughs> right. Incredible's new moves, but like the first thing that happens is the bad guy attaches a bomb to him. Yeah, like like he he does not know what he's doing. He just jumps in to be helpful, and he's not thinking this through at all. This is the this can be a real hard thing to tell to is that you're just not good at this, mm-hmm. and to have things go well. Yeah, there's more. Just building on something else that you said, he's he is inventing problems later on in the movie to solve so that other people will affirm him. Right. I, d- I don't know if that's, I, I get the sense that's a two-ish thing. It's like, I'm, I'm actually going to create a little chaos so that then I can fix the chaos. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's his whole sinister plan at the end. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that, that like we start to move into like mental unhealth. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, like this isn't just unhealthy as a person. Like the the idea of creating problems to solve so that other people will think you're being helpful. Like that's that that combines the security at four with the pride at two and mental unhealth. The last thing I had noted on this was the relational possessiveness that you mm-hmm. can see in some twos. Yeah. That's being manifest here. Yeah. Yeah, he's the the head of the fan club. He's like like you're 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 my guy, and I'm your guy. Yep. Yeah. Um, I was reading one book on twos that was uh, advocating for healthy steps, and one of them was to simply give gratitude for what other people have done for you, even though they're not perfect and and may not have treated you well. Giving gratitude for all that they have given you in the past. Hmm. So that you then can let go and move on. Yeah. Oh, that was a great little line. And that, that, that would be a much healthier move, but that's something that clearly he's not able to do. Right. Jumping to the very end in the last quote from, from Syndrome, after he's manifest all of uh, his <laughs> toxic behavior. Yeah. The Incredibles have saved the city. They find Syndrome at their home. He, he has kidnapped their baby and they br- they walk into the house. He freezes them and says, "Shh, the baby's sleeping." <laughs> you took away my future. I'm simply returning the favor. Oh, don't, oh, don't worry. I'll be a good mentor, supportive, encouraging, everything you weren't. And in time, who knows? He might make a good sidekick. He just wants to help. He just wants to help, wants, man. Wants to help Mr. Incredible. Wants yeah. to help Mr. Incredible's kid. Yeah. Wants to kill his other kids in a uh, with a missile uh, in a plane crash, but you know. And that's that's. Don't worry about that. That's that's something <laughs> different. That's What's what is so villainous really about helping others? 
Uh, so the one word that we're missing here is pride. Let's talk. He doesn't want to help others. He wants to be recognized for helping others. There it is. He wants praise and acclaim for helping others. He derives his whole identity out of being special for doing something for other people. And that's his whole thing as, as a super villain slash hero is yep. that like he creates these, this problem so that he can swoop in and save the day. That's entirely his sinister plan as well. Right. Uh, how it plays out in the, in the end is I'm going to create this catastrophe so I can swoop in. And then what is actually desired is the attention affection that he's never had from the community at large. Right. One of the reasons that this character I think is great is, is they set up a sympathetic backstory for him. It's he wants to fight crime with those who he, I mean, he idolizes them, but it's better than that. It's like you're you're a symbol of strength and virtue and goodness, and and I want to connect with that. But he is rejected, even when he's confronting a legitimate threat. There is something about him, in fact, that is heroic, even though he has this experience with a male role model, he still becomes a self-made individual and wants to get into that spot where he self-actualizes. Do you find this a sympathetic character? Um, I get the points that you're making. I don't connect with it the same way that you're, you're, you're getting to. Right. But I, I don't disagree with you. I just don't <laughs> see it the same way. <laughs> if you look up, so here's where I'm going down this road. If you, so when I'm doing research, I, I'm typing in syndrome. The first 10 articles are about syndrome was really right. And, and all of these folks online are going to bat for, for him. The, my favorite argument was something like this. Syndrome's really just Tony Stark. He has daddy issues. He creates lots of machines to give him the powers to allow him to function well in a world with super beings, yeah, and then he advances into that space. Now, Syndrome makes all sorts of bad choices, but just on the face of it, I loved, I loved the, sure. the idea that he and Stark have a similar trajectory. They, the, they, they, they still start from a different place, though. Like, Syndrome wants to be helpful. That's why he creates all of these things. Uh-huh. Stark creates all of these things and then uses them to be helpful. Like he the he he builds the Iron Man suit. Yeah. Like the very very first one, he builds it to escape. Well, this is true, yeah. Yeah. Not to but, be helpful. He builds it to escape to get the heck out of there. And then becomes a hero. Afterwards decides I need to do something better with my life. Yep. I suppose that's it. Syndrome never has that uh, moment in his journey, right, where he decides I need to transform who right. I am. For I mean, he he could have maybe, except for he fell prey to the classic superhero costume <laughs> flaw. <laughs> it seems to me actually his flaw is having a terrible role model. I don't want to go too far into how bad of a person I think 
uh, what Bob Parr is, Mr. Incredible. <laughs> but this guy doesn't care about him. He ejects him from his car onto his head. He mocks he him in alone. front of other adults. Yep. Well, he does want... Now, there's nothing wrong, I think, with wanting to protect. This is how I work, kid. However... There is some he uh, he works alone because he's egotistical. <laughs> that's that is what you see from the beginning. He's yeah. on the TV screen and yeah. and he's he's super self-absorbed. Yeah. Um he's and as Tony we Stark. It's true. In fact there's yeah, there's an argument I think to be made. I don't I haven't done the 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 study but to say that Bob Parr is likely a 3. There's an adrenaline junkie. I want the glory. He's got that his office is just filled with pictures of himself. Right. In front of him. Um just needs to feed his ego. Yeah. More than that, he's a guy with no self-control. He's picking up small people and throwing them through the walls. Now right. whether or not they deserve it, is secondary, but if you have superpowers, yeah, I've heard tell that you you can't just throw people With through. Great the walls, power then. comes great responsibility. <laughs> That's how it goes. <laughs> um, the thing about Par is he is li- here's the threeness. He is lying to his wife constantly mm-hmm. throughout this story, and when he gets caught, he lies some more. Not a good guy to idolize, right? So, buddy has chosen both capes and the wrong hero. Yep. And he just can't recover. Yep. It's true. <laughs> okay, that was my my going off on Bob Parr's <laughs> character. But there is a Fair. point where I suppose where Bob Parr, Parr crashes. There's a little kid, the 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 local kid on the tricycle comes comes by. Well, what are you waiting for? I don't know, something amazing, I guess. <sighs> Me too, kid. Because yeah. he doesn't feel successful. There it is. He he doesn't feel successful. When he does start feeling successful, his libido goes up. He starts playing with his kids again. Right. He becomes the hero again. Becomes a hero. Yeah. In the meantime, as he's becoming re, re-becoming the hero he needs to be, uh, Buddy Pine also has a transformation. And he has started to kill superheroes. Right. He's kind of like a... What do you call that? He's like a headhunter. He's a... Big game hunters. Yeah, it's a big game hunter. He started taking out superheroes. Right. I suppose there's there's the villainous manifestation. You got the the power, and now you are showcasing I'm better than these other people I may have idolized before. Well, and I think there's um, so we talked about this once before a long time ago, uh, specifically with syndrome as the example. Like he's not just getting rid of superheroes. He's elevating himself at the same time as lowering them. Yeah. So like he's, he's working his way through superheroes in order to get to Mr. Incredible because he needs to make his thing more powerful than all of them so that he can showcase himself as more powerful. So he's simultaneously raising himself up while lowering them. Yep. And that's the low side of, Two's insecurity. We right. we said this in a previous podcast that once the two awakes to their feeling at four, when they go low, they may use that insight to make other people feel unwanted by elevating themselves in the process. Right. Um, and that that's a super unhealthy move. Mm-hmm. The big line of this movie is when Syndrome unveils 
himself to Incredible. And you will remember this. It's, uh, it's after his machine has defeated Mr. Incredible, and Syndrome then flies in and says, It's finally ready! You, you know, I went through quite a few supers to get it worthy to fight you, but man, it wasn't good enough! He's serving him. <laughs> right? Yeah. After you trashed the last one, I had to make some major modifications. Sure, it was difficult, but you are worth it. I mean, after all, I am your biggest fan. He has done so much work to earn the attention of his hero. Right. And that's the stance and desire. It's right. he, he, is, he is an earning number. It's ones, twos, and sixes earn what they want. And what he wants is attention. Twos, threes, and fours in the heart triad. Yeah. Um, the earning the attention of a terrible father figure seems to me to be the primary for this character. Sure. How do you escape that? Like, uh, like the two-ish desire of I want to get the attention of somebody who's not a healthy person. And I imagine you would have to do it in unhealthy ways. If you're a two and you have targeted the wrong person for attention, mm -hmm. you know what I mean there? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a path towards destruction. It's like there's... there's there's no real way around it. If, if your only goal is to gain your value from someone who is not going to give you the attention that you're looking for, then you, you the only thing that's going to happen is you are going to destroy yourself or someone else in the process. Yep. Mr. Incredible has had a journey up to this point. There's still, he needs to have a, he needs to hit the bottom still, which is going to happen in the movie. Right. He recognizes the last line and he says, Buddy? My name is not Buddy! And it's not Incredible either! That ship has sailed. All I wanted was to help you. I only wanted to help! And what did you say to me? Like his whole heart gets presented right there. Like right. who who can object to, to somebody wanting to give all of themselves in help? Yeah. Mr. Incredible in the flashback says, Fly home, buddy. I work alone. There it is, just motive, motive, motive. Yeah. Syndrome says what happens when I feel rejected. It tore me apart. But I learned an important lesson. You can't count on anyone, especially your heroes. Any thoughts of that line I think is real interesting. Yeah. Any thoughts on that coming out of the heart of a two? Um, you can't count on anyone, especially your heroes. So I think there's, there's this and there's uh, at least one other spot uh, that really interestingly reflects a two in stress moving to eight. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. So like this is, this is a moment of a two realizing in that stressful place of being totally rejected. Like he, he gave everything he had to this like big reveal of like, I'm finally going to go help. And he was completely rejected. And yeah. in that stressful moment, he picked up the worst parts of eight, which is you can't count on anyone. Boom. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Missed that one. I'm going to become as strong as I possibly can mm -hmm. at eight yeah. to deal with the fact I'm not getting what I want. Right. I was wrong to treat you that way. I'm sorry. See? Now you respect me because I'm a threat. It's again sitting there at eight. 
That's the way it works. Turns out there are a lot of people, whole countries who want respect, and they will pay through the nose to get it. How do you think I got rich? I invented weapons, and now I have a weapon that only I could defeat. Mr. Incredible doesn't listen to the monologue or his sinister plan. He throws a log at him. You sly dog. You got me monologuing. I can't believe it. Um, Here was the thing that kind of hit me right here. For twos, the monologue, the villainous monologue is actually about that motive. Right. I really want your attention, affection, and love. Right. I'm going to tell you how I've earned these things in your sight. Like, he still wants Bob to care about him. Right. Even though he said earlier, oh, you mean nothing to me. That ship has sailed. Right. No, it hasn't. Apparently, it hasn't. He really does want his love and affection. Right. And and there's so there's like some great little bits in here about like the like we talked about the two moving to eight in stress, the the two in security moving to four is that that now you respect me because I have made myself into something special. There it is. He has power and is special. Ah! And he's done that by being helpful to other people. Yeah. That's right. Oh, that's good. Who need the things that he can do. That's it. That's spot on. Yeah. He's made himself indispensable and is wealthy because of it. Ah. At the end, he has, uh, he's captured the whole Incredibles family and he's looking at the rocket that he has launched at a city. Huh? Huh? Oh, come on. You got to admit this is cool. Just like a movie. The robot will emerge dramatically. Do some damage. Thrones of screaming people. And just when all hope is lost, the helper will emerge. Syndrome will save the day. I'll be a bigger hero than you ever were. Which is two at four in unhealth. Yep. He has power and he's going to the low side. And he's going to be more special than anyone else ever was at helping. I, when, at some point, I need, we need to like specially earmark this. But that's been the epiphany for me. It's there. There's all sorts of literature out there in terms of morality and the good life that focuses on what do you do with the power that you have. Power manifests itself in money. It manifests itself in like how you conduct your relationships with people who, you know, you have more years on or more physical strength in. And when you're in those situations where you clearly can exert your will who are you in those moments Mm. and that's why the villainous side choosing the low road at that moment that's where the villainy comes in yeah you mean you killed off real heroes so that you could pretend to be one because he's an imposter he's an he has imposter syndrome wait a second isn't his name (laughs) syndrome there it is (laughs) i got i got thoughts on syndrome later but I love that line because that's what they're trying to show you. Oh, there it is. Right. And Syndrome says, Oh, I'm real. Real enough to defeat you. Some pride coming out. And I did it without your precious gifts, your oh-so-special powers. I'll give them heroics. I'll give them the most spectacular heroics anyone's ever seen. And when I'm old and I've had my fun, I'll sell my inventions so that everyone can be superheroes. Everyone can be super. And when everyone's super... <laughs> no one will be. <laughs> it's such a strange target. 
But there's the equanimity at four. Yep. There's yeah. the, I want to make every, I'm in, I have power, I go to security, and I want everybody to be the same. Right. Healthy fours and twos going to a healthy four, picking up some of that, will be looking to elevate everyone to a level. Yep. Unhealthy fours look to lower everyone to yep. the same level. Might be some great language there about how Palpatine, we've talked about Palpatine as a two. Mm-hmm. That's what I create a galactic empire in which I, I level everybody's abilities. I destroy right. the Jedi who were the special people. Ooh. Right. Yeah. Destroy all the Jedi. They're the only ones that have special forces. And then I'm unique on top of, it's not even a pyramid. It's like everything's flat. And I'm right. the one who is set apart as special. Exactly. Come on. Yep. Um, syndrome in psychology. It's a, a syndrome is a group of signs and symptoms that occur together and characterize a particular abnormality or condition. The Latin is literally several roads meeting together. Tourette's syndrome, uh, Asperger's syndrome. It's like all the connections are firing at once, and then it creates kind of a, a result because there's so much information all coming to the same point. Hmm. And how would imposter syndrome work with that? I just looked up the Latin on syndrome and I thought that was interesting, but so shooting off the top of my head here, uh, I would guess that imposter syndrome is about like the different identities sort of meeting in a place where they can't coexist. Oh, there you go. Sure. Yeah. So, so like, Ooh. imposter syndrome is specifically about pretending to be something that you're not while knowing that you're not that thing, but being deathly afraid that people, other people know that. Right. Like that's, that's sort of a off the top of my head for a description of what imposter syndrome is. And so like, like for someone like buddy who is pretending to be this thing while also knowing he's not this thing yeah. and, working so hard to make sure other people don't know he's this thing, but also scared that they do know that he's this thing. It's, it's the confluence of the different identities. I'd be real curious if this is something that would be particularly a temptation, an obstacle for heart triad. You want mm, attention. Yeah. I, threes are clearly going to put forth the image and not want to get found out. I could see threes experiencing this. I could see fours really being aggressive at calling out anything that's not authentic because the imposter, being an imposter would be anathema to what they want. I would guess want. that unhealthy fours, like if you wanted a shorthand for how to describe unhealthy fours, it would be imposter syndrome. Oh, tell me why. Because they are trying so hard to be unique, to be true to themselves, but because they're unhealthy, they are also trying to figure out how to fit in while also seeing the places where they don't fit in. And within that, like in the unhealth, they can only see how they don't fit in and, and are desperately afraid of other people figuring that out. Yeah. Lots of imagery on the flip side in The Incredibles here because Bob is very, is super, but he is trying to appear like a normal person. That's the mm-hmm. whole struggle at the beginning. Right. 
and Buddy Pine is the opposite, trying to appear super when he's really a normal guy. Right. Uh, Peter Kogan, who's a writer, says that many supervillains are imposters in that they are putting on a show of sorts and heroes who oppose them are the audience. I thought that was a great little line. Yeah. That that's actually what the, the that many villains want is is the attention of the hero and that's what the monologue is is really taking place. Hmm. Syndrome yeah. is obviously aware of how other people are perceiving him. Mm-hmm. It's where his motive is. Longs to earn their affection prior to then destroying them. The villainy hits there. It's like, I really want your attention. I really want your affection. And once I get it, I'm going to kill you. And that, 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 that sinister move seems to me to be all over a handful of characters that we could name mm-hmm. where it's like, I'm going to extract from you the thing I want most. And then you're going to die. You know right. what I mean? Because that's all I need from you. Yes. Yeah. And that's the low side of right. security. And also the reason that they'll never, like, like this is why villains cannot actually achieve self-actualization. It's because the thing that they want is something that they can't get. Mm. They want the attention and the sort of praise of their hero. And once they get that, then they will kill the hero. Yes. But they won't get that before they kill the hero. Yeah. Like, they just can't. Even so they either kill the hero or they never, or the hero wins. They'll never actually get the thing that they're looking for. Yeah, even more so on the self-actualization side, they've never done the hard work of dealing with their addiction. Right. With their primary motive in a way that's healthy and joy-producing. Right. Any happy villains out there, joyful villains out there? The sinister laugh is all a not facade. Fours, not twos or fours. <laughs> right. not, yeah, not, not twos, threes, or fours. None of them are joyful. Well, we see that come out in this character when he has control of uh, Mr. Incredible. He has imprisoned Mr. Incredible in that machine that kind of locks up Mr. Incredible's hands and feet with electric power. I don't know how mm-hmm. that thing works, but... He's he's doesn't in matter. Sp- it's a cartoon, right? <laughs> <laughs> the physics don't matter. Doesn't matter. Um, he's in this cruciform shape, and he is made to watch as uh, Syndrome says, "There's a plane that's come into our airspace, and who is it?" And then they hear the voice of Mister Incredible's wife. What's a uh, shoot? What's her name? Mrs. Stretchy Incredible. woman. <laughs> Elastigirl. That's it. Thank you. Um, and so Syndrome being in control and Villainous just shoots off some missiles. And we hear Elastigirl freaking out. Disengage, repeat, disengage. Friendly. No, off the missiles. I'll do anything. Too late. 15 years too late. It's just like this. I am totally in control and getting exactly what I want from you. You have, mm. in that moment, Mr. Incredible has lost. Yeah. That was he it's not him getting chained up. This is where he's entirely beaten. Yeah. So there's um this might be scraping the bottom of the barrel a little bit, but this was something that stuck out to me in one of the viewings I most recently partook. Um 
so this this represents one of the few moments where Syndrome loses control. So when um, when Mister Incredible survives and sneaks into the la- into Syndrome's lair and, mm-hmm. and views all of that stuff, and then sends out a signal uh, because uh, Elastigirl turns on the the locator beacon. This is a moment where Syndrome is not in control for a moment. So, so to me, this represents a, a, a stress point for our villainous two, okay. which draws him a little bit back to eight. Yeah. So the thing that he says about this moment to Mr. Incredible is... I mean, Mr. Incredible calling for help? Help me, help me. <laughs> lame, 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 lame. Like his reaction mm. is, how dare you need help? How dare you express <laughs> vulnerability? <laughs> True. And then he picks up, while he's there, he picks up some vengeance and comes back and kills Mr. Incredible's family with no regard for whoever's on that plane with the fact that there's children there. Yeah, we like, hear over the speaker, there are children on board. Right, and he doesn't care. He doesn't care at all because yeah. he's gone to eight. He's gone to his stress place because Mr. Incredible survived and he would lost control, and he picked up unhealthy things at eight and comes back and expresses those unhealthy mm. things. The scene, you would think that that's the end of the scene, and it's not. It builds. Mm-hmm. The plane is destroyed. This is where Mr. Incredible actually finds his heart and transform. He goes to the place. The cruciform shape is real, I think is real intentional here mm-hmm. in terms of he dies here and and needs to have a rebirth. And right. what in the way that happens is Syndrome says after the plane is shot down, Ah, uh, you'll get over it. I seem to recall you prefer to work alone <laughs> and starts laughing at him incredible then goes for him and is gonna get him but the assistant mirage pushes syndrome out of the way and she's captured and mr incredible is is in this place where it's just all rage release me now or what i'll crush her oh, that sounds a little dark for you He's again, he's mocking him in this right. moment of grief. Now oh, go ahead. It'll be easy, like breaking a toothpick. <laughs> and Syndrome is not going to surrender his strength. As you were saying, he says, Show me. No mutual commitment to his partner. And then Mr. Incredible decides to surrender. He lets the woman go. Syndrome then again mocks him. He says, I knew you couldn't do it. Even when you have nothing to lose, you're weak. And I've outgrown you. There's again the, I'm not thankful for anything that you've done for me in the past, and I'm moving on. I've used you up for all of my needs. Mm-hmm. You got any thoughts on two, sir? I just, I, the one thing that stands out to me here is, is his, his singular focus. Like this is this is peppered throughout. Like he's he doesn't care about the other heroes that he's. I highly doubt that he monologued for any of the other heroes mm. that he captured. Yeah, like like his focus has always been about Mister Incredible. He was yeah. Mister Incredible's number one fan. He does all of this work to get Mister Incredible, and and even in this moment when when someone who 
cares for him enough that she saved his life is in danger. His focus is still on Mr. Incredible. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. I quoted this before, but Chuck Kloisterman says that a great villain is someone who knows the most but cares the least, and that's where this is really coming out, Yeah, um, is the heartlessness of it's not just uh, killing a family or killing other superheroes. Letting your lover die to, to, to gain just a little bit extra of that dark attention. Mm-hmm. Ugly. Yep. Um, last word on uh, on the syndrome. That's what I got. I think he's a. I'm. He's a cartoon, but I think he's a. He's a great representation of a two, super villain. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Beckett. I was talking to Beckett about syndrome, mm-hmm. and he had a theory. Um, he uh, Beckett's first thought. I said, "What? What do you think about this character?" He goes, "Um." Well, he has a superhero outfit. I was like, yeah. He's like, and the superhero outfit has a cape. I was like, it does have a cape. And he goes, well, Edna Mould gave him a, a costume with a cape because she wanted to sabotage his future plans. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, there were like 12, he was 12 steps down the road from sure. where I was at. I was like, yeah. well, that was good. Yeah, that's the <laughs> That's some backstory, man. That's <laughs> heavy lifted right there. Edna Mode, who, by the way, was number 100 on Empire Magazine's top 100 best characters ever list. She makes a pretty, a, like a real stark impression. Yeah. Like she's, yeah. Just super interesting character. He, I was listening to the commentary on this. It's Brad Bird, the director, uh, who also directed Iron Giant and uh, Ratatouille mm-hmm. and one of the Mission Impossibles, I believe. And he did the voice for Edna Mode. Excellent. They couldn't They couldn't find anyone who was... He kept showing people, this is what I want. And, yeah. you know, the, the guys who were doing, you know, the... Voice casting. <laughs> looked at him and just said... You know, you're pretty good at that. You, <laughs> Why don't you do it? <laughs> Why don't you do it? Um, in fact, there a bunch of the animators are voices in this uh, movie. Like mm. the guy who's kind of cold and looks out for all the supers. Yeah. Um, that's an animator. He's like oh, a neat. lifelong animator. And, and he did like a temp track over his character. And, and Brad Bird was like, you did that real well. Why don't we just keep you? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Um, there's some folks who want to say that that The Incredibles is really this pro-fascist, you know, eugenics kind of movie. And one of the, <laughs> the evidences is that Edna Mode is half German, half Japanese. It's kind yeah. of got that yeah. World War II um, thing. I was just like, okay, I mean, you're kind of... I hate conspiracy theories. The, like That's just, not surprising to me. Just despise conspiracy theories. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to the other twos. You're going to love this. You haven't seen The Godfather, have you? I have, but it's been so long. I, I want to watch it again, but I haven't yet. I have. Treat yourself. When, when you have that afternoon where all you want to do is sit down with a glass of scotch and take two hours from your, you know, from your family to just say, I right. just need to zone out, man. Yeah. It's an, it's enjoyable. But the opening scene of this masterpiece is of the character Vito Corleone. 
who you all will know, um, played by uh, crap. <laughs> Marlon Brando. Thank you. I build up my brain with all the syndrome stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Opening of the movie, it's it's there's this dark room and a mortician is t- is speaking in this like dark office, and apparently his daughter uh, was beaten and disfigured by two young men after she rejected them. And this character's name is Bon Sarah, and he says, "I went to the police like a good American. These two boys were brought to trial. The judge sentenced them to three years in prison." And suspend the sentence. They went free that very day. I stood in the courtroom like a fool. And those two bastards, they smiled at me. Then I said to my wife, for justice, we must go to Don Corleone. Brando steps up. Why didn't you go to the police? Why didn't you come to me first? What do you want of me? Tell me anything. But do what I beg you to do. What is that? And Bonacera comes and he whispers in his ear. And you get the sense that he says, I want you to kill them. I want them dead. That I cannot do. I'll give you anything you ask. This is so good because it's going to elevate. Let me tell you what I actually want. And Corleone says, We've known each other many years, but this is the first time you ever came to me for counsel for help. I can't remember the last time that you invited me to your house for a cup of coffee. Even though my wife is godmother to your only child. He's establishing the relationship. But let's be frank. You, you never wanted my friendship. You were afraid to be in my debt. That's going to be a big, big thing for this character. I didn't want to get into trouble. I understand. He found paradise in America. He had a good trade, made a good living. Police protected you and there were courts of law. But he didn't need a friend like me. Now you come to me and you say, Don Corleone, give me justice. But you don't ask with respect. There's the line. He says this really directly. He says, You don't offer friendship. You don't even think to call me Godfather. Again, he wants to be elevated over the flat. Everybody else is in the same level. You said you come into my house on the day my daughter's to be married and you ask me to do murder for money. He wants to be special, wants unique status. Wants him to call him Godfather. Do you see anything else there before I hit the punchlines here? Like the one thing that that keeps jumping out at me, and I feel like this is this is like if you needed to sum up the story of <laughs> a mafia don, the idea of being in his debt yep. is a thing, and one thing that twos need to come to terms with is that the reason that they are helpful is to store up favors and the godfather is about storing up (laughs) favors like that's 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 it the whole thing is about storing up favors it's a different type of monetary system here Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i don't care about money i want you to be able to do things for me when i ask because of leverage I've been helpful in order to get what I want. Yep. Ah. But Asira says, I ask you for justice. That is not justice. Your daughter is still alive. Living is suffer then. As she suffers, how much shall I pay you? And again, you see what Don Corleone cares about. He turns away from him. What have I ever done to make you treat me so disrespectfully? If you had come to me in friendship, 
and the scum that ruined your daughter would be suffering this very day. And if by chance an honest man like yourself should make enemies, then he would become my enemies. There's deep relational connection here. Yeah. And then they would fear you. And then he turns. And in the movie, you see him, like, cower. His head goes down, and he says, Be my friend, Godfather. Corleone then shrugs. He gives his hand to him, and Bonacera kisses the ring on it. And Corleone says, Good. Places his hand around him, kind of moves him out of his office. Someday... And that day may never come. I'll call upon you to do a service for me. But uh, until that day, accept this justice as a gift on my daughter's wedding day. And Bonacera leaves. One of the great things about the movie, this is such a great opening scene. This opening scene <laughs> in the movie. Um, is this character apparently lives in fear for the next three years of getting a phone call. Yeah, of course he, he does. He doesn't know what he's going to be asked to do. Because he now owes a favor. <laughs> yeah. And he's the mortician in town. So he's like waiting for for Corleone to come with some, you know, dead body that he needs to to deal with. Sure. And what's interesting is just spoilers. What ends up happening is Don Corleone does come to him with a dead body, but it's his, it's Corleone's son who's been shot to pieces. And Corleone says, I need you to make him look better for the funeral. Ah! Throwing <laughs> up favors. And there, there is a transformation in this character. He comes across this, this villainous side. He's not like a villain villain in that way. He's clearly part of the seedy underbelly of, uh, you know, of New York City or wherever this, I assume it's New York. But the character who can command fear, respect, etc., you know, just a great, a great villain character. Anything mm-hmm. else you see there? I don't know that there's m- much more to say. Like, like it's it's all about this is mafia dons. It's all about storing up favors. Yep. Yeah. The uh, they show that in two or three different ways with these other examples. The most famous is there's a, a guy who's kind of like the Frank Sinatra character who comes and he says, "I really want this role in this movie." And the the producer won't give it to me, and I'm the best guy. And so Don sends his lawyer and says, hey, we really want our, our guy to be in your movie. And the producer tells this big, long story about why he's never, ever going to hire that guy. Um, but before they had dinner to discuss the movie, the producer showed um, the lawyer his wonderful, you know, million-dollar horse he said, look at this. I'm going to send him out to pasture, and he's going to make me millions. And so the lawyer shakes his hand. He says, I'm sorry that we couldn't come to arrangement, and he leaves. And then the next day, the producer wakes up in his bed next to a horse head. Right. Right. Power. You don't, you don't mess with a guy who, like, who has all of the favors in his pocket. It's all the favors. And the... When you hear, with that in mind, and you hear the most famous line from The Godfather, uh, there's lots of famous lines in The Godfather, but one of them would be, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. That's 100% about power and my ability to manipulate situations for the sake of the people who I care about. Right. 
We did extensive work on Palpatine in the, uh, I think it's the last episode of our Star Wars yeah, I think podcast. So. It may have been the last character because you and I were on the fence uh, between Man, two and three. That was so long Palpatine. ago, I don't remember that. <laughs> Only through me can you achieve a power greater than any Jedi. Learn to know the dark side of the Force and you will be able to save your wife. From certain death. Same tactic. Yep. Follow me and I'll give you everything that you want. There it is. Just yeah. be in my debt. Uh, lots of Huggins. We got two Pixar villains on the two list for those uh, two who, who love the cartoons. Yeah. <laughs> right. I remember this scene. I watched it briefly and I. I'm really interested in your take on this. Lots of two language here again. Lots of Huggins is the, what he's kind of the Godfather character is like oversees all the toys at the nursery, but right. he, he controls everything cleanly, right. but is, is very relational mm-hmm. and gets other people's, um, what would you call it? Like their relational connection, all of his henchmen devotion, can, devotion. That's what yeah. I'm looking for. Thank you. Um, there's one scene near the end of the movie where we hear Chuck uh, Lotso's story from a character named Chuckles. Chuckles says, Yeah, I knew Lotso. Me and him, we had the same kid, Daisy. I was there when Lotso got unwrapped. Daisy loved us all. But Lotso, Lotso was special. They did everything together. You've never seen a kid in a toy more in love. There's a love language. One day, we took a drive, hit a rest stop, had a little playtime. After lunch, Daisy fell asleep. She never came back. Lotso wouldn't give up. It took forever, but we finally made it back to Daisy's. But by then, it was too late. Something changed that day inside Lotso. Something snapped. She replaced us. Come on. No, she only replaced you. She replaced all of us, didn't she? She don't love you no more. Now, come on! We were lost. Cast off. Unloved. Unwanted. Then we found Sunnyside, but Lotso wasn't my friend anymore. He wasn't anyone's friend. He took over Sunnyside and rigged the whole system. So, how'd you get out? I got broke. Bonnie found me, took me home. Other toys, they weren't so lucky. Lotso says, I didn't throw you away. Your kid did. Ain't one kid ever loved a toy, really. Chew on that when you're at the dump. Wait. What about Daisy? I don't know what you're talking about. Daisy? You used to do everything with her? Yeah, then she threw us out. No, she lost you. She replaced us. She replaced you. And if you couldn't have her, then no one could. You lied to Big Baby, and you've been lying ever since. She loved you, Lotso. She never loved me. As much as any kid ever loved a toy. Woody pulls out Daisy's tag, gets Big Baby's attention. 
One, you want your mommy back? She never loved you. And all of this language of love builds to this point in which um, Lotso smashes the tag with a mallet, then Lotso addresses all of the, the other cronies. This is what happens when you dummies try to think. We're all just trash waiting to be thrown away. That's all a toy is. And Lotso then leaves the toys to die in the incinerator, which is the huge scene at, there at the end. Um, see anything there? I feel like I'm talking over that, but <laughs> well, there's like like this. This to me is is the the two living at unhealthy four. So like like there is a little bit of Godfatherness. Like this 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 speech in particular, yeah, is is like the forest part. Because because it's it's all about like the turn that we see we talked about so much with with syndrome where he's trying to lower everyone to the same level. Yep. And so this is this is all about like no one is special because I wasn't special. No one is special. Mm-hmm. There it is. There's there's a melancholic element here as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and he was part of something at one point and then when he moved to that when when that foundation was taken away from him he developed an entire like this is almost like the trauma expression like we've we've talked about how trauma breaks everything yeah and so he almost reflects a different type because he has spent so much time in unhealthy four and yeah. like like this this is where he lives now is that no one is special because I'm not special. We brought this up with Suzanne and it got pinned for a different point in time of mm-hmm. where your security and your stress number meet. And it feels like that's what's going on there. It's both I'm going to do the things for a two. I'm going to do the things where I will never be hurt or betrayed again. Mm-hmm. And on the other side... It's I'm going to grab hold of, I'm going to force false security. And the only way you can get to false security is to go low. Sure. And then, yeah. and then that's where you see that. Yeah. Um, when he does have power, it's to diminish everyone's value. Right. You're just all future trash waiting to be thrown away. Right. At one point, Lotso says, When the kids get old, new ones come in. Talking about his nursery. When they get old, new ones replace them. You'll never be outgrown or neglected, never abandoned or forgotten. No owners means no heartbreak. And this is another, like, this. he's a great example of or- overlord for your own good. Yeah. Your heart your heart will not be broken because you won't ever have an owner. And I'm going to make sure you don't have an owner. There it is. In order to protect you. He's weaponizing that condition of being unwanted. Mm-hmm. In the same way that he fears being unwanted, he is taking that and using it against other people. Mm-hmm. Or using it to control other people here. Right, right. Last one for me is Commodus from the Oscar-winning Gladiator movie. You like this movie? It's so good. Okay. It's we haven't talked so about this movie. Good. Um, yeah. One of the early quotes, it's the early dialogue between Marcus Aurelius, his father, 
and Commodus, Commodus shows up to a battle that has been fought uh, somewhere in Europe. <laughs> it's uh, somewhere on the fringes of the Roman Empire. They're, they're dominating everything. Um, he steps in, and uh, Marcus Aurelius, who's played by the fantastic... See, all these great actors are escaping me. What's that dude's name? This uh, is... Um, I can never remember his name. This is the guy who plays Dumbledore in the yeah, first two movies. Super, it's uh, Harris? Richard Harris. That's it. Richard, boom. Okay. Um, <laughs> Marcus Aurelius says, Are you ready to do your duty for Rome? Yes, Father. You will not be emperor. Which wiser older man is to take my place? My powers will pass to Maximus to hold in trust until the Senate is ready to rule once more. Rome is to be a republic again. Maximus. My decision disappoints you. And then, this is such a good character building statement. You wrote to me once, listing the four chief virtues. You're, you're an absentee father. Wisdom, justice, fortitude, and temperance. As I read the list, I knew I had none of them. But I have other virtues, father. Ambition. That can be a virtue when it drives us to excel. Resourcefulness, courage, perhaps not on the battlefield, but there are many forms of courage. And here it is. Devotion to my family, to you. But none of my virtues won your list. Even then it was as if you didn't want me for your son. I searched the faces of the gods for ways to please you, to make you proud. One kind word, one full hug. Where you pressed me to your chest and held me tight. Would have been like the sum of my heart for a thousand years. What is this enemy you hate so much? Unwanted character. All I've ever wanted was to live up to Caesar, father. Commodus, your false as a son is my failure as a father. And he opens up his arms for that hug. And Commodus hugs Marcus and cries and... I would put to the whole world. If you would only love me. And then he suffocates him in his chest. <laughs> that last line is crushing. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I've ever noticed it in that way, but reading it on the paper, I would have butchered the whole world if you would only love me. Especially like Joaquin's delivery of it is yeah. it's just uh, uh. might be an unhealthy two on that. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. Tell me. I don't think he's a two. Oh, do it. I think he's a four. Oh, is it? oh okay. Yeah. This could be. Well, yeah. let me let me pitch one other quote to you because I thought it was interesting on this side, and we could. I mean, we can we can do a quick typing through it. Sure. <laughs> but yeah. he says to his sister at one point, he hears that Maximus is alive, mm -hmm. and wasn't murdered like he had commanded. Yep. And Commodus says they told me he was dead. If they don't respect me, how can they ever love me? That targeting of love. Mm -hmm. I don't know that he's wanting the uniqueness. It seems like he is ungratified and needs well, a family connection. I think that, like, so, so look, the, I, I don't think that, like, this is, this is part of Commodus's unhealth entirely. Like, he, he is a fantastically unhealthy <laughs> character. Right. 
but he he keeps talking about love, but there's no possibility that he knows what love is. Like the way that he expresses and looks for love in quote unquote love in the world, like he doesn't know what that actually means. Uh-huh. And I think that he is looking for affection, which okay. which puts him in the two, three, four place. But I don't think that it necessarily nails him down to two. Is it the case then? So say he was a four. What's really going on there in the dialogue with his father is that he wants to be set apart as unique. He would be Caesar. I, I, I would point more to him recognizing that there, for some reason, he has always been deficient in his father's uh, eyes. Sure. He sees that his father does not think that he is worthy in a way that leaves him out. Yeah. Someone else is better than I am. Yeah, there it is. And then the envy comes out. Yeah. And that's that's what that movie's about. He's envious of the person that his father has selected. Right. And and like look at like he um he enters Rome as a conquering hero. Uh-huh. But he has never fought an actual battle. Right. He like he is he's elevating himself in this way that like he wants to be seen as someone who's special, but but the whole thing is that he recognizes recognizes that he that someone else is better than him. Yeah. The action repression of that character comes in later as he governs. He's not interested in governing. Right. Right. As well. That's good. All right. Well, maybe we'll keep that, or maybe not. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Um, that's all, that's all I got for, uh, the two villains. Um, anything else before we, uh, we sign out? No, I don't think so. Hey, it would mean the world to us if you'd pause and take two seconds, write us a brief review, uh, and give us some stars on your podcasting platform of choice. We've gotten a handful of these recently and I can't overemphasize how much they mean to TJ and I, especially during quarantine where we don't get to talk to anybody about our work. There's like a single outlet. It's <laughs> these <laughs> scraps but uh, that we're looking for on, uh, on the podcasts out there. But, but they do mean the world to us, and they obviously help other people find uh, the work here. Um, you can find all the links to all of our stuff at aroundthecircle.org. And the best thing you can do for us is to share this with uh, a person that you love. Uh, music here is by The Collection and Tim Coons. And if you dig our pop culture deep dives, you can help us select upcoming movies and hear more on our Patreon page. So, uh, hey, TJ. Hey. You got anything else? I got nothing, man. It's TJ Wilson. He's officially awesome. I'm Jeff Cook. Who you aren't isn't interesting. Be who you are and you'll set the world on fire. Morning will come. Burning will come.